Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. The universe operates according to principles from God. These principles rule all of life, and one of these trumps all. This is a four-part series about the fundamental principle. We're in part two of a series that we started last week. And for those of you that skipped because you thought that I was in Israel and wouldn't be preaching, the joke is on you because I preached anyway. People kept asking all the time on the trip, who's preaching while you're gone? Me. Technology is awesome. If you were here in October, you know we had a special series. I didn't preach two weeks in a row. I didn't want to make it three, so I did preach that series using video and uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, There you go. That's how that works. So now we're into part two of this series called The Fundamental Principle. And I believe that this is so important that this, that the material in this series is what we need if we expect to live a happy life, if we could be that maybe a little selfish, but a fulfilled life, that's not selfish, we should all want that, or a successful life. And the idea of the fundamental principle comes out of this, that God created the universe to operate according to principles. And if we are violating the principles God put in place, then we lose. If, on the other hand, we are living according to the principles God puts in place, then we win. So again, if you knew which principle that this series was about, you may skip. No one wants to talk about the subject and which principle this is, but I'll tell you what it is. Here's the tagline from last week for the entire series. I believe authority, y'all catch that one? Authority is the most fundamental principle in the universe. I made that case last week. I'm not going to go back and make that again. I'd encourage you to go back and catch that online if you missed that. What I want to do today is talk about how authority plays out in our lives in one of three arenas. And so we're going to look at those arenas uh, as we go on. And today is just one of those. So as we're talking about authority, there is no way we could do this if we didn't ask the question that really ultimately we're all asking, which is, who's in charge? Is it Satan or, or is it God? We hear things like, wait a minute, you should take the authority you have as a believer. Are you sick? You should pray. Are you facing this struggle? You should stand up and say, well, I'm a believer and I'm taking the authority over my life and I'm going to to see God move and do these things. We've all heard that, right? Anybody try that every now and then? Y'all should, by the way. You should take the authority that God's given you. But how many of you know sometimes when you do that, it still doesn't work out perfectly? You still might be sick. You still might need to go see a doctor. You might still be broke. Everything doesn't turn out the way we want. And then we also know that we live in a fallen world. We know what the Bible says about Satan being the prince of the power of the air. This is, this is his ground. So wait a minute, I'm kind of confused. So who actually has authority? Is it Satan or is it God? What if the answer is both? What are we going to do with that? Would you say How? Here's the funny thing about authority. Authority is something that you can have and then you can lose. Authority is something you can have and then you can give away. So it really is a question about jurisdiction. Have you ever seen one of those police TV shows or movies where they're fighting over who has jurisdiction, you know? And, and like the, the FBI, because they're better than the police. That's what they think, right? At least in the movies, that's the way it acts. So they show up and they flash their little FBI badge and say, I'm here to take over jurisdiction of this investigation. And somebody will say, well, who do you think you are? You have no jurisdiction here. You know, you see the little fight kind of thing going on. And the, the, y'all don't watch cop movies? Come on, tell me y'all seen at least one of them. Are y'all just not paying attention? or All right, anyway. And it's a fight over who actually has jurisdiction in this area. And so what I want us to do today is take a look at what the Bible actually says about God's authority, Satan's 
authority and our authority in the way that it's supposed to be. So if you've got your Bibles with me, just turn with me to Luke chapter 4. If you don't have one, it's going to be on the screen uh, behind my head anyway, so you'll be okay. That was one of the jokes we did in our whole trip in Israel, is everywhere we went, we were talking about things. We'd pull out our Bibles, say, if you got your Bibles, turn here. And one of the people would always make the joke, and if not, it'd be on the screen behind your head. But there was no screen. It was like a melting. I guess you had to be there. It's really not very funny as I tell you that now, but it was obnoxiously funny when we were there. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, starting right in, at the beginning of the chapter, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, which, by the way, the Bible makes a lot more sense when you've been there. Like last week, I was standing in the Jordan. And let me tell you, if there's any river that has more flies per capita on planet Earth, I don't know. I mean, it's seriously, like they're everywhere. We even baptized two of our people in the Jordan River with a guy named John. How cool is that? Not every day you get to be baptized in the Jordan by a guy named John, but uh, they did anyway, so... So he returned from the Jordan, been there, done that, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And so what follows is an exchange of three temptations that Satan brings to Jesus uh, trying to get him to, to fall to one of these things. I don't have time today because that, that is covering a lot. Matter of fact, if you want to know more about this entire exchange between Satan and Jesus, I did a whole series on these three temptations, and, and you can go and catch it online and find out more. We don't, we're not going back there today because we've already done that. What I want to do today is just show you this one exchange that we see happening between Satan and Jesus that's relevant to the topic. And so we're going to jump to verse 5. And in verse 5, the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Did y'all catch that? Wait a minute. In one moment of time, Satan is able to show Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. Just like that. Here you go. You see it. I didn't know Satan had that much power. Did y'all know that? Here's the crazy thing. Time is our deal. Time is not God's deal. Time is not even Satan's deal. Time is our deal. We have this idea of measuring our lives from a beginning to an end. We create timelines. What God does is he takes our little timeline and he turns it on in and all he sees is a little dot. He doesn't care about the before, the after, and all of these little things. I think that time is more of a, a prison for humanity than anything. Think about this. We all say we're afraid of death. The truth is you're not afraid of death. You're not. If you think you're afraid of death, you need to go spend a little bit of time in a nursing home. I don't mean this negatively. Truly, go see a place where everybody has lost control of what they are supposed to have. Like their body's not working the way it's supposed to. They can't walk. They can't get themselves out of bed. They can't go to the bathroom on their own. Maybe their body still works and their brain doesn't. They don't know if anyone comes to see them. And I don't know, but I've seen family members in that condition. And I think, I don't want to live like this. I would rather die. Death is not our problem. Our problem is how much time do we have before we die? What do we get to accomplish before we die? When I die, will it be at the point of time that I'm happy with? Death is not our issue. It's our fear and control of time, something we wish we had authority over, but it really is just kind of a made-up thing. I just think that's interesting. Satan, in a moment of time, shows Jesus all that's around. He goes on, and he says, and he said to him, Pay attention, this is the important stuff. That was for free. To you, Satan is talking to Jesus. To you, I will give all this authority and their glory, for it's been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. 
And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Jesus. He just offered you complete control of planet Earth and said it was his. And all you do is quote scripture back and remind him you're not supposed to worship him. Why didn't you just cut him off at the knees and say, hey, wait a minute, Satan, who do you think you are offering this to me? Why do you think it's yours in the first place? I was in heaven when you tried to rise up and act like you were God and you were cast down and you are nothing. I know who you are. Who do you think you are to offer that to me? It's not yours. But Jesus didn't say that. You know why Jesus didn't say that? Because it is his. The first thing I want you to notice about this passage is that Jesus did not disagree with him. Jesus did not rebuke him, saying that it was his. Jesus did not correct him. Satan claimed that it was his, it had been given to him, and Jesus knows that that is true. Who gave it to him? Not a trick question. Who gave it to him? Man. Man. I'm going to take you on a little theological tour. Is that okay, y'all with me? In, in theology class, we call it the dominion mandate. It takes place at the very beginning of the Bible. Chapter 1 in Genesis, God made man and he said, let them have dominion over the earth, over everything that moves upon the ground. They are in charge. God created the animals. He brought them to Adam. Adam named them. Adam was in charge of planet earth. Adam could do anything he wanted. If y'all listened to last week's message, you know about my little dilemma. We don't have it that way. We have to have fly swats now. We can't just say, die in the name of Jesus. Like Adam, Adam could. Adam could just say, you're annoying me, fly, die. And then it would just die. And, and Adam could kill mosquitoes. I try this, you know, in July here in August in, in Columbia. You want to kill the mosquitoes without whatever, you know, and it, it just doesn't work. We don't have that authority. We run from lions and, and elephants, but uh, Adam would have just been able to say, come here and lay down, and they would have obeyed. We had complete authority. And then there's the problem of Satan. He wants to be God. He wants all the glory and all the worship for himself. And so he's cast down from heaven. And he realizes, I'll never have it all. I'll never be in the place where God is. I'll never have all the universe, never have all of the angels worshiping me. I'll never have anything. But I'll tell you what I can have. I can have an overwhelmingly huge percentage of it because that guy, his name is Adam. And God gave everything on planet earth to him. And if I get him, it will belong to me. It's just like this. If you owe me $100,000 and you don't have it to give, I'm going to take you to court. Let's say that you own a car. By the time we leave court, your car is mine. And your wages are mine. They'll garnish your wages until you get the money back. You will essentially be my slave until you pay me back that $100,000. What belongs to you will belong to me if you belong to me. And that is exactly what Satan understood. And so he went, he tempted Adam and Eve. We know how the story goes. They fell. They decided that they would defy God's ways. They would willingly go against following God. They would voluntarily choose to follow Satan's words, his advice, make him in charge of them. And then everything that belonged to them now belongs to Satan because they do too. Jesus did not refute it. The second thing I want you to notice is remember why. Remember why Jesus had to face these, these three temptations is because they were the root of every temptation you and I will ever face. That's why I only needed to face three. There is nothing you and I will ever face that Jesus hasn't faced. The same root. I want to make this relevant. I want to bring this to 2014 if I can. Let's not just stand here and talk about something that took place 2,000 years ago. Because what is happening is actually continuing to happen every single day. 
Satan offered Jesus authority. And today in 2014, every one of us, every single day struggles with Satan offering us authority. But the same thing that he offered to Satan, which was a counterfeit authority, is what he offers us. He offers us a counterfeit authority that comes as counterfeit goods. They fade away. If you've ever bought jewelry on the streets of New York and wondered why your $2,000 watch was only 20 bucks, you found out a week later when the minute hand fell off and it stained your wrist kind of thing. Counterfeit goods. Because Satan's way is always easier and always cheaper than God's way. I'll admit God's way is harder and costs more. But the goods are eternal. And the glory never fades. See, it works like this. Satan looked at Jesus and said, you and I both know, you will have all of these kingdoms. But God's way is going to require pain and suffering. I'm going to give them to you now. No pain, no suffering. All you've got to do is bow down to me. Satan offers us this counterfeit authority as long as we will make him in charge. Every single day we face the same roots. I see people all the time or hear people make the jokes. It's a Christian joke all the time, right? Well, I get to heaven, I'm going to slap Adam upside the face. That boy just screwed up my life. He messed it all up, right? We like to blame Adam. Truth is, we need to blame ourselves. Adam only began the problem. We perpetuate it. Every single day, Satan comes up and says, I will offer you this counterfeit if you will simply do it my way instead of God's. I will offer you riches if you will sacrifice your family for your career and not give like God tells you to. I will make you feel rich right now, but you'll be poor in the end, but let's not talk about that. Counterfeit is what Satan offers. So Jesus died on the cross and Jesus rose again and Satan is defeated. And Jesus, even after his resurrection, he came to his disciples and he said, do y'all know this verse? All authority has been given to me. And now I'm sending you out in that same authority. And yet, 2,000 years later, we still see evil in the world. And we still suffer sickness. And we still suffer death. And somebody will say, if you're sick, take authority over your life. And you try to do it, but somehow the sickness doesn't go away. I don't know about you. Are you confused? I can be confused. Anybody here confused? Good news, we don't have to be confused by the time we're done today. Because the Bible answers this one. One scripture, one passage, you don't need to turn there because you won't have time to get there. It's out of Hebrews chapter 2. I'll tell you this. If there is any passage you should know as a believer to help you get through life day by day by day, this would be it. It starts in verse 6 and says, What is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man, talking about Jesus. It was his favorite title for himself. Every time Jesus referred to himself, he said, I'm the son of man. That's, that's how he called himself. Who is the son of man that you care for him? You've made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. And now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. Sickness is not outside of his control. It's subject to him. Death is not outside of his control. It is subject to him. Financial catastrophe is not outside of his control. It is subject to him. Your spouse, your marriage, your wayward children, it is not outside of his control. It is subject to him. So what's the problem? Yet at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. So you're scratching your head yet? 
yet at present we do not see that which is done. In theology class, we call this the tension between the already and the not yet. Already and not yet. It is done, we just don't see it done. We live in the era of the tension between the already and the not yet. And the best analogy I can give you, have you ever heard of the phrase running around like a chicken with his head cut off? Seriously, you're in the South? Y'all never heard that phrase? Let me help you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna visually take you there. When I lived in Romania, all right, Thanksgiving's coming up. When I lived in Romania, we wanted to celebrate Thanksgiving. Problem is, Thanksgiving is an American holiday. They didn't celebrate Thanksgiving. So we got together with our team and all of our little Romanian friends, and we said, we want to celebrate Thanksgiving. And we explained to them what it was and said we were going to eat turkey on Thursday. And it was, Thursday? Why Thursday? Why not like Saturday or Sunday? That makes more sense. Why has this got to be on Thursday, this Thursday? It's got to be this Thursday. It's what we do. It's Thanksgiving, and we need a turkey. Turkey? We don't eat turkeys. Turkeys are wild birds. Why would we eat a turkey? Look, man, just, just help me out here. I need a turkey, and we're going to eat it on Thursday. All right, well, you can get a turkey. You're going to have to go to the market and, like, get you a turkey. Like a turkey. When it still goes gobble, gobble. Y'all know what I'm saying? So, so I had to go to the market and bought two turkeys. I've got a picture of me with two turkeys under my arms. Turkeys that are still moving, right? This is weird for us. We go to the grocery store, but we had to go get turkeys that were still gobbling and had to find this Romanian friend of mine. Now he's my brother-in-law. And said, hey, can you make these gobble a little bit less? And so he did. If you've never watched this happen, this is where they truly, they take the, the, the turkey and they chop its head off and you've got one of two choices. You can hold on to it and get real messy or you can just let go and it runs around the yard and blood goes everywhere and it's running around like a chicken with its head cut off. But it's dead. The tension between the already and the not yet. It's exactly what we see. Satan is defeated. He was defeated with Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. But we live in this era, the tension between the already and the not yet. Jesus is coming back. He will bring everything to completion. Everything that has been done will be visualized and materialized in our midst as earth and heaven is created anew again. How cool will that be? And if you're saying, well, why the heck are we waiting so long? You. The Bible tells us one passage. There is only one verse in all the Bible that tells you when Jesus is going to come back and end the era of tension. And he said, when everyone knows about me. It's in Matthew. When all the world, when all the nations, and what that means is not countries with flags, but all people groups. When every ethnic people group on planet earth knows about the grace of Jesus Christ, he will return to consummate history in its completion. We come in here and sit on our butts waiting instead of getting up and going somewhere and doing something that will bring about an end to this era. God works through people. There's no plan B. He's going to work through people. And the longer you and I sit around miserable in America saying, well, there you go. What are we going to do? Let's wait on Jesus to come back. The longer it's going to take before Jesus comes back. I hate to tell you, but that's just the way that works. There's my shameless commercial again for why you should not go to Disney next year and maybe go somewhere that makes a difference because it will help bring an end to this era. Personally, I think you and I live in the greatest era ever. We live in an era where you can pray to see sickness healed and it may or may not happen. We live in an era 
where you can do everything that you think you should do and Satan can still attack you. What? We live in an era where everything does not go according to plan. Wait a minute, Jimmy, you're really confusing me. I thought you just said we live in the greatest era ever. Absolutely. You just may not see it that way because see, here's the deal. Our purpose in life is to worship. And there is no greater worship than when Satan tries to take your feet out from under you and you look at him and say, and God is good. No greater worship. I mean, if you live in a perfect heaven and a perfect earth and Satan is completely destroyed, worship, it won't have the same meaning as when the doctor looks at you and says, yeah, it's cancer. You got a couple of weeks, say goodbye. I just had a friend of mine just heard the story where he just went into a surgery and he asked the doctor, what are the chances? And the doctor said, you have none. You have none. No one's ever recovered from this. No one's ever lived through it. We just do it because you're still alive at the moment. How would you like to hear that? And he was a pastor of a church. He said, well, good, I'm going to go see Jesus. When we understand that's the era we live in, it's the greatest era you could ever live in. I'm off my notes. I'm not sure what I'm doing there. The battle is about a jurisdiction for authority. This is what you and I see. This tension between the already and the not yet is this time period on planet Earth where Satan tries to say he's got jurisdiction that he doesn't have or has some of. And God is coming and reasserting his jurisdiction. This is the battle that we see. It's a jurisdiction of time. It's a jurisdiction of realms. And here's what I need you to understand because you may be confused. Don't leave without hearing this. This is the most important thing. God has ultimate authority. Y'all good with that? Are you really good with that? I mean, because I just stood up here and told you, wait a minute, Satan had authority and it was his to give. But I need you to understand a very important point before you walk out here today and start worshiping the wrong one or being afraid of the wrong one. God has ultimate authority. Follow me. Satan only has what was given to him by man, and that is only what God had given to man. God did not create man as his equal. God did not give man total control. God did not give man the entire universe. So Satan only has secondhand stolen authority that belongs to mankind, which is still not what God has. He is not God's equal. God is in control. God has ultimate authority. Satan does not. Do not be afraid of the wrong one. Do not worry about his authority. Our response is simple, but it's a two-sided kind of issue. It's one of those things where you do two things and they go together. They don't go apart. You can't do either or. If you do either or, it simply doesn't work. Here's what we need to do. We need to stop and we need to start. Y'all say this with me. Stop and start. That was good. I got three of you. Let's try this again. We need to stop and start. Here's what I mean. We need to stop giving our authority away, and we need to start taking our authority back. When I say we need to stop giving our authority away, we need to remember Satan was the one who said, all of this has been given to me, and I can give it to you if I want. He has authority because we give it to him. It's not just something Adam did. It's what you and I continue to do. Let me bring this home. Is your marriage perfect? And you feel at times like, wait a minute, my marriage is an absolute disaster. It's, it feels like Satan is in control of this thing. Maybe he is. Let me tell you a little bit about what it would take for you to have authority in your marriage. You would have to do things that God says, like forgive your spouse when they offend you. 
and when they hurt you. You would have to, to do things like lay down your life for the other one like Jesus did and says to do. What we do, though, is we hold on to our bitterness and we hold on to our offenses and we fight with our spouse trying to win a fight. Well, if all we're going to do is that, we're not living under God's authority. We're taking the bait and living under something Satan intends for us. And then we wake up and realize we're not in charge of our marriage anymore, that it feels like we're, li excuse me, but living in hell. Like I know, I counsel marriages all day long. You don't have to nod, but I know where you are. Maybe it's not your marriage. Maybe it's some other area of your life. You see, what happens is God says, when I am your king, I bless you and I protect you and I defend you. That's why, if, if I can talk about money for a second, this is why the Bible says, if you will honor me with the first 10%, I will rebuke the devourer for you. God says, if you tithe, I will protect you because you're under my authority. And then he says, if you don't, good luck, you're on your own. You will fight the devourer by yourself. It's a scriptural principle that's not just about money, it's about anything else. You wanna give up control of your life? I meet people all the time, they're like, I, I, I'm, I'm struggling with this and I'm struggling with that and I'm struggling with this and I'm struggling with that and, and I don't, this and that. Well, you know, maybe if you stop this or you stop that. Well, no, 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 you know. So they give up control voluntarily to drugs or to this habit or to that habit or this addiction. And once you've given away control of yourself, God says, if you don't want control of yourself, then here's what that would feel like. And God is leading us to a place where we want to come back and make him the authority of our lives. We repeatedly give away the authority. This is why we sometimes struggle with authority over our own homes. You may feel like at times God is not in charge of your home. You're not in charge of your home. You try and then something just falls apart. It's because you look at your kids and basically say, do what I say, but not what I do. Because we don't live a life that follows God. Don't be surprised when your kids come home one day and say, hey, you know, I was kind of thinking, I'm not sure about Jesus, you know. We lose control because we're not under God's authority. We need to stop giving away the authority that's supposed to be ours. And then we need to start taking back our authority. When I say start taking back our authority, what I really mean is this idea of increase your jurisdiction. That's what we're talking about today. One of those arenas, the arena is jurisdictional authority. And it starts with you, your very life, where you say, God, I want your authority back in my life. I want to live in the authority I'm supposed to live in. So it starts right here with me. You should do this. You should go home, get a full length mirror, stand in front of the mirror and say, it starts here. Nothing changes until it starts here, where you say, I'm going to take back my life. I am going to live under God's authority. Here, and this is very simple. You start reading this right here, and you do what it says, done. That's how you live under God's authority. And when you discover something in here and go, ooh, that's not what I'm doing, that's where you're not living under God's authority. Look, I realize that is the last thing anybody wants to hear these days, isn't it? But that's the truth, and that's the part that hurts. But we start with this, we say, okay, my life. And then we go, okay, my family and my home. And we increase our jurisdiction. As for me, I will serve the Lord. Then as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. And then you step out. As for me and my neighborhood and you and get together with a few other neighbors and start praying because I am in this place and I am an agent of the kingdom. We bring God's authority back into this neighborhood. And then you start doing the same thing in your schools. Yes, wake up teenagers. You should be listening. This is about you. You can go to your schools and you can make a difference where you are. And you can say, because this is my school, God's authority will reign in this place. And then you can take it to your workplaces and then to your city and ultimately to our world. We can increase our jurisdiction of what God has given us. 
We can have what he intends for us. Did you notice I left something out of that list? Hear the word church. Y'all may think, what's a church? Satan has no place in a church. Ha! You haven't been around a church very long, have you? If there's any place Satan would love to have authority, it's in the church. Because the church is the hope of the world. The church is the institution to advance the kingdom upon planet earth. If Satan can get in here, I say this phrase all the time. I'm going to teach you a phrase today I, I just wish you could live by. I wish we could all live by. Don't take the bait. Say that with me. Don't take the bait. You're going to hear somebody, did you hear what so-and-so said about you? And right then you can take the bait. You can give the enemy authority in your church by taking the gossip. I can't believe they would say that about me. I'm not going to that church anymore. Don't take the bait when the preacher preaches something you don't like. Look, I'm going to preach 52 sermons a year. I go on vacation. I'm going to preach 50 a year, and I'm going to do that for 30 years. Chances are I'm going to say something you don't like at least once. It's just the odds are against me. And people are going to go, oh, I'm not going to that church anymore because that guy said this. Or, or they painted the walls a certain color I didn't like, or they did this with the carpet. We allow the enemy to bring disruption and dissension and accusation, and we buy into it, and we give him authority in our church to rule and to reign. Next thing we know, we got people talking about people, people who hate people, people who are backbiting and, and, and just everything. Don't take the bait. When the, somebody comes to you and says, hey, did you hear what so-and-so said about you? Say no, but when they say it to my face, I'll talk to them about it. Seriously, that's the way to handle it. And I know you are looking at me like, like deer in the headlights kind of thing. That's, you know the reason most people don't go to church is because we don't take authority over our church. So many people have been hurt in churches because they give the enemy a foothold. That's the whole passage. Don't give the enemy a foothold means don't give him a foothold of authority that will grow until you oh, have no control because he has all authority. So I want to challenge us. None of us. None of us want the enemy ruling our homes. Do you? None of us want to live under the jurisdiction of Satan. Do you? We are frustrated because we don't have the jurisdiction that deep inside we know we're supposed to have. We know that earth isn't supposed to feel like this. We know this is not what God created. This is not the way it was supposed to go down. We know this is not the way marriage is supposed to feel. We know our bodies are not supposed to be this broken. Our frustration is because we know God intends so much better for you and me than what we experience every day. So my challenge is as simple as it can be. Go to war. Go to war for the authority you're supposed to have. If I could put this into an analogy in the natural realm, when one nation loses jurisdiction over a piece of land in their world, they go to war for it. 
they mobilize an army, they put boots on the ground, they invade the territory they've lost, and at the expense of being willing to die, they are going to take back what they have lost. And my question for you is, are you willing, at the expense of your life, to take back what Satan has taken from you? Will you go to war for your marriage? Will you be willing to lay down your life and lose it for the sake of saving your marriage? Because if you're just willing to lay down your life, you probably just saved your marriage. Stop that. Ugliness. How about your morality? Will you go to war for your morality? You know, there's just been one time too many that you stayed up late at night, nobody was watching, you got on to something on the computer you shouldn't have and the Satan looks at you, he's got you. Now you're tempted. Now you can't get near a computer without doing it. Now you start doing it on lunch break and on your phone at traffic lights. You're busted because you've given away the authority and you think you can't have that back. You hate yourself. You think you can never walk in purity again, but you can. You can have authority back over your morality. Maybe you think you've lost your purpose in life and your calling. Maybe you think it was too long ago that God told you to do this and you didn't do it. Can I remind you what I said earlier? Time is a prison for humanity. It's not how God operates. It is not too late for you to take back anything that you've lost. As a church, I want us to go to war for the jurisdiction we fight for daily. Daily, we are fighting for people's lives. Daily, we are fighting for our city and our influence in this world to make a difference. You may not know this, but we never have a service. We never do this, that someone is not sitting in my office praying for you. Volunteering to miss out on what's happening in here so that they can sit in there and pray for you. Because we understand that if we're going to take this jurisdiction right now in your life, somebody's got to be at war in the heavens. We have battles that we need prayer warriors for. We have things that are going on all the time. People say this, this happens, this goes against us. And we need to be able to say, will someone pray? Will someone do something? We are attacking the gates of hell. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I believe that Grace Life Church is attacking the gates of hell. And Satan is kicking back. Will you go to war for your church? Will you go to war with your church? That was not, what do you call that question no one answers? Rhetoric, that was not rhetorical. Let's try that again. Will you go to war for your church and with your church? Will you stand up? Everybody, this is Chris Brown. Thank you, Chris, you can sit down. Chris leads our prayer ministry here at Grace Life. He's the one that's in charge of everybody who is praying, those people that pray at the end of the services, people who pray in my office, the people who get prayer alerts throughout the week. If you're willing to go to war for what Grace Life is supposed to do in this city and in this world, I'd like you to meet him in the lobby, give him your information. He'll continue to build that team of people who are willing to do that. Authority is the most fundamental principle in the universe. And I believe we can take back what's been lost. I believe we can take back what has been given away. And I believe we can restore the kingdom and its authority to our lives, and to our homes, and to our city. Are you with me? Amen. Every week here at Grace Life, we end by making sure you know the ultimate truth. The ultimate truth is that going to church and believing Jesus walked on the earth is just not enough. 
Lots of people go to church and it doesn't mean anything. And lots of people believe Jesus was a real person. There are entire religions of the world that believe he actually existed, but they don't worship him. The ultimate truth that we need to know is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and has another life for you. He has paid the price for your sins and has a destiny waiting. And so every week here at Grace Life, we like to end by giving you an opportunity to surrender to making Jesus the king of your life. That's the beginning of retaking the authority, by the way. Because until you're in his kingdom with him as king, you've got no hope. You're a slave in the wrong kingdom. If you've never done that, I want to help you do that here this morning. I'm not going to embarrass you. You don't have to stand up or do anything weird. We're just going to pray right where we're seated. Would you all pray with me? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your mercy. And I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for dying a death that I deserve. I thank you for giving me the authority that you earn. And my simple hope in this place today is that you will give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.